Hello, I'm Patrick Ridgell, and I'm back once again with Transamerica Asset Management's Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wall. Hello, Tom. Hello, Patrick. Tom, today I think we'll be talking about not only the current economic climate, uh, which continues to evolve, or perhaps let's just say disevolve as a, as a result of COVID-19, but also the recently passed economic stimulus package to hopefully address the, the hardships our economy is going to be facing in the months ahead. Yes, and so, Tom, the last time we talked, you were pretty vocal about the magnitude of economic difficulty we, we could soon be seeing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Uh, that's right. And now we're actually we're actually starting to see some of that show up in the real reported data. Uh, y- yes, Patrick. So last week we had the first employment numbers reported since COVID-19 really began impacting the economy. Uh, these were for the full month of March, and they gave a bit of a glimpse uh, into just how rough uh, things are likely to be over the next several months. Uh, for the month of March, which one could argue really didn't see the worst of the virus impacts until the later weeks, uh, the U.S. economy lost 700,000 jobs, mm-hmm. and the unemployment rate jumped from 3.5% to 4.4%. Uh, just to give you an idea of the magnitude and change uh, we are now looking at, uh, we have had um, we have not had uh, a month in which there have been net job losses in the economy since June of 2010. And in terms of the aggregate numbers, uh, this was pretty much the second worst month of job losses uh, ever. Only in January of 2009, uh, during the financial crisis and Great Recession, when we saw 740,000 uh, job losses, has the absolute uh, monthly number ever been higher, okay. uh, with the exception, of course, of a few reports going all the way back uh, to the 1940s when soldiers were returning from World War II when their discharges were technically counted as job losses. Yeah. Uh, but when you take out that historical anomaly, uh, this was the second worst month in the job market dating all the way back to 1939, yeah. at least in terms of the absolute numbers of jobs lost. And, and how would you compare the, the environment of January 2009 to now? Yeah, I, I think that's where the road starts to separate in this comparison. Uh, that month of January 2009 was pretty much the low point of the Great Recession, and the economy was about to come off the floor and, and begin recovering. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, uh, these uh, March job numbers uh, we've just seen are more likely only a fraction of what we might see the next few months, uh, just based on jobless claims of recent weeks that are uh, yet to show up in the government's official employment data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will probably be seeing April and May job losses well into the millions, uh, several millions, and unemployment rates, uh, which with this March report uh, have now jumped to their highest uh, level since August of 2017. Uh, that metric uh, will skyrocket also, uh, most likely well into the double digits, uh, perhaps above uh, 20% uh, type of thing. Uh, and as we've said before, these are numbers that were basically unthinkable uh, just a couple of months ago. Okay. How about GDP for the second quarter? I, I mean, bad, real bad. Uh, we talked about this last time. Given how strong the economy was going into the COVID 19 blindside, 
we're probably looking at a year-over-year decline in aggregate GDP of more than 20%. I mean, there is some divergence of forecasts out there, but most are coming out north of that level. Some are calling Mm -hmm. for contraction in excess of 30 35%, which, as we said last time, would be the worst individual quarter of economic contraction since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And, of course, you've said before that any economic recovery will be dependent on a turn in the medical data. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we've been seeing some very tough uh, data of late on the virus itself, exponentially rising cases, estimated fatalities that are really very difficult just to listen to. Uh, Those numbers continue to tragically increase. However, uh, not to mitigate any of this, uh, we could be approaching peak infection trends in terms of the rate of new case infections. Okay. Uh, Estimates... Uh, for most of the country, could hit peak rates in the next two weeks or so, and then finally begin to decline, which of course would be very welcome data in terms of the long-term progression of the virus. Uh, And that could be the result of these aggressive lifestyle containment efforts that we've all been living under uh, over these past several weeks actually beginning to take effect. Uh, However, bear in mind that fatality trends will lag infection rates and we will not see fatalities peak until after these infection rates have peaked and are actually uh, well into decline. Okay. So this could create a bit of a paradox in the, in the data uh, that will actually begin to look worse even as they are improving, okay. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot going on here. Um, are there any silver linings you think we should be aware of? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I believe there are. Uh, from the medical side, the most important stat to watch, uh, in our opinion, uh, is the percentage of recoveries to total cases. Okay. The U.S. is behind other countries here. But if this ratio continues to expand, as it looks like it is beginning to in recent days, um, it, it could start to take on the same sort of profile of other nations that we're beginning to see, such as uh, Spain, Germany, France, and even Italy, uh, based on some of their trends in recent days. Mm-hmm. Um, moving back to the economy and the markets, okay. I think the most uh, important uh, area to watch or, or the most important debate right now is what I call the depths versus duration argument. Yeah. Is the market going to focus more on how bad these next few months will be, and we all know they are going to be terrible. Uh, nobody's arguing with that. Uh, or is it going to focus on more how long we stay in this deep contraction, the duration argument, I like to say. And my feeling right now is that uh, it's more about the duration, how long we stay in this contraction, more so right. than how bad the contraction is for you know a three- or six-month period. Okay. Uh, remember, uh, the S&P 500 dropped about 35% off its February 19th record to its intraday low back on March 22nd. This was the fastest 30% decline in the history of the S&P 500. And I think a lot of that was the market's recognition of what it took the quote-unquote experts to finally understand a couple weeks later, which was just how bad things were going to be between now and mid-year. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a strong argument that the focus will be now more on how long we'll be at these suppressed levels. Which, of course, ties into the economic stimulus package passed by Congress last week and it's now being implemented. 
So what do you see as most important about the stimulus for the economy and for investors? Yeah, well, well, a few things. So this economic stimulus package, the CARES Act, which stands for uh, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, uh, totaling $2.2 trillion of economic relief to everyone from individuals to major corporations. Uh, this is the largest fiscal stimulus legislation ever. That alone says quite a bit there. Uh, and it's broken down into several areas, all of which, of course, represent uh, great urgency in this current environment. What are those, broadly speaking? Okay, so about $500 billion or half a trillion is going into loans, loan guarantees, or other forms of direct assistance to large and mid-sized companies, ranging from companies with 500 employees all the way to the major consumer airlines uh, and, and air cargo carriers. Uh, then about $350 billion is being allocated to small businesses, companies employing 500 people or less also in the form of direct loans and guarantees. There will be about $150 billion going to states and local municipalities, who obviously are also uh, being immensely strained right now. More than $100 billion is going to hospitals and healthcare providers, who, of course, are on the front lines of fighting the virus. Uh, and most of the rest is going to everyday people and families who will be receiving direct payments of $1,200 per adult and $500 per child, as well as enhanced unemployment benefits of up to $600 per week for workers who have uh, unfortunately been displaced as a result of this COVID-19 related crisis. So which of these do you do you view as most important? I mean, they, they all seem important, obviously, but which ones really stand out? Yeah, I would say the relief to small businesses that $350 billion going toward companies of 500 uh, employees or less. Why is that? Well, small businesses account for about half of all employees uh, in the United States, uh, okay. half of the payrolls uh, for our labor force. And they are perhaps the most vulnerable right now. And uh -huh. so it's vital that this economic package allows most of them to uh, hold down the fort, uh, if you will, as we look to get through this. And how's the stimulus package looking to get that done here? Yeah, so, so the stimulus package is providing for federally guaranteed loans to these types of small businesses, uh, up to $10 million or 240% of their payrolls. And those loan proceeds can be used not only for workers' salaries and benefits, but also rent, mortgages, utilities, and interest on previous debts. Pretty much what it will take uh, for these companies to remain viable during this rough patch uh, we're now going through. Okay. Also, and this is really important, these loans will be subject to what the legislation stipulates as the Paycheck Protection Program, also being called PPP, uh -huh. that, in, that essentially is telling these companies that if they keep their employees on the payroll, if they don't lay off their workers, uh, then these loans uh, can be ultimately forgiven. So that could be big. Uh, yes, very much so, on several fronts. Uh, helps the companies that need it most, helps the companies the economy needs the most, uh -huh. helps retain employees and keep their uh, keeps their paychecks coming in, uh, and keeps these small businesses uh, out of debt once the crisis is over. And the larger companies? Uh, yes, they fall into that half trillion or so I just mentioned. A uh, few things going on here, a bit more complicated. About $25 billion or so is going to direct uh, assistance for the airline industry, uh, which, as we know, has been devastated 
over these past couple of months. Business is down uh, something like 80%, I believe. And about $17 billion is also going to air cargo carrier companies. But the bulk of this amount is being allocated by the Treasury Department to credit facilities at the Federal Reserve, which have been designated to support businesses, states, and municipalities. This okay. is where there was some disagreement between Republicans and Democrats during the drafting phase of the legislation. Mm -hmm. Democrats wanted more oversight on this uh, $500 million. At one point, they even uh, called it a slush fund for large corporations. Mm -hmm. I think that may have been a little harsh, but of course, I'll keep politics out of this right now. Okay. But uh, as a result, there are very tight restrictions on companies uh, who receive this financial assistance in regard to not buying back stock, paying dividends, or increasing executive compensation as a result of this financial assistance. Okay. And how about the other provisions? Uh, yes, $100 billion to hospitals and healthcare providers. This will be crucial to increasing the testing for COVID-19, which is critical to reducing the rate of spread, as well as for the equipment, both pertaining to the patients and the healthcare workers, mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, sufficient treatment of the virus uh, can be implemented. Uh, then the $150 billion to the states and local governments, uh, vital not just from a fiscal budgetary standpoint, uh, but also uh, what this might mean regarding support and confidence within the municipal bond markets. And and the payments and benefits to individuals and families? Uh, yes, also crucial, getting cash into the hands of everyday people so they can keep their personal and family budgets afloat during this time. Uh, that will, of course, be critical. Uh, now, what I think is also going to be extremely helpful in this package is the $600 per week of employment, unemployment insurance to those who have lost or will lose their jobs due to COVID-19-related business or economic uh, conditions. Okay. And that will be in addition to whatever unemployment relief they are already receiving. Okay. So there's, of course, a saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. So where's the risk in all this? Where, where are the risks in this overall economic stimulus package? Uh, great question, Patrick. And don't get me wrong, there certainly are risks. Uh, Congress and the president don't just uh, you know wave a magic wand and everything gets better. So the first risk, of course, is the cost, $2.2 trillion. The mm -hmm. federal government will have to finance that in the markets, take on additional debt, and we'll need to see real economic returns that this doesn't uh, burden for future generations. Yeah. But, you know, that said, I don't think there was any real choice here. Uh, this had to be done. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I think the biggest risk here is in the implementation. Uh, we've uh, never had to do these types of things before at these types of dollar amounts and for this much of the population. Mm -hmm. And they have to be executed correctly and without a high degree of error or delay. Um, unfortunately, we are hearing, at least anecdotally, about some issues here in the early days, mostly on the Small Business Paycheck Protection Program loans. Uh, the way this is supposed to work is that the small businesses get these loans from their existing banks, and then federal government guarantees the loans for the banks. So the businesses and the banks need to work together right off the bat. And there, you know, there have been some reports uh, early on, at least, and there are stories in these early days of this not going, uh, 
you know, so smoothly in some cases. And, and I'll just, you know, just personally speaking, I have friends who are small business owners and they have told me about, you know, some problems they're having getting through on bank web websites and whatnot, uh, you know, uh, with the necessary applications uh, for them to apply for these loans. So okay. while it's early, of course, nothing ever comes out of the gates without some rough edges in the system. Uh, so to the extent that this might be pervasive early on, it's something that uh, will will need to be reconciled soon. Yeah, let's certainly hope so. So Tom, when we look further out, um, perhaps in the second half of the year, do you think this $2 trillion package will be enough? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, I think it's a good start and what we need right now, but the reality will likely turn out to be that we'll need a follow-on stimulus package, okay. uh, perhaps in late summer or autumn uh, as all of this plays out. Uh, so I would definitely look for a CARES 2 Act mm -hmm. uh, sometime in the second half of the year, a uh, dollar amount of this obviously uh, to be determined, of course. So, Tom, as you just described to us, there's a lot in this stimulus package. What is the major takeaway for investors in all of this? Yeah, I think the most important takeaway for investors is they really should view the stimulus package, this historic stimulus package, as both a bridge and a tailwind, okay. a current bridge and a future tail, a future potential tailwind. Okay. Uh, right now, uh, and most vitally, it is a bridge to get us to the other side of the COVID-19 crisis. It is the bridge to keep us all viable, individuals, small businesses, mid-sized and large corporations, states and municipalities. Keep us all in the game, so to speak, until the virus trends mitigate. Infection rates and fatalities slow and recoveries, and recoveries rise uh, to the point where some semblance of the pre-COVID-19 social and workplace norms can be reinstated. Okay. And when we get to that point, the impact of this stimulus package will likely remain in place, uh, to a large extent, uh, at least for some period of time. Mm -hmm. And when combined with the Fed's monetary st stimulus, uh, this can be a tailwind uh, when the economic recovery begins to occur. You mentioned the Fed's monetary stimulus just now. We don't want to forget about that, of course. No, not at all, because that will also play a pivotal role in a future recovery. The Fed has effectively reduced short-term uh, interest rates to zero. That's important on a few fronts, not only in terms of uh, financing costs for corporations, but also in allowing investors to reassess uh, risk-oriented assets. They've also reinstituted quantitative easing, uh, also known as QE, or as the Fed likes to call it, large-scale open market asset purchases, uh, which they have now qualified as being open-ended or unlimited in their dollar amounts. And these open market large-scale asset purchases will, unlike those following the financial crisis, uh, include not just treasury bonds and agency mortgage-backed securities, but also corporate bonds, municipal bonds, commercial mortgage-backed securities, and some have even speculated that they may consider buying equity ETFs, exchange-traded mm -hmm. funds. Mm -hmm. So this type of asset purchasing program, uh, as we saw during 2008 through 2014, and this time around, it will, without question, have a lot more firepower than it did back then. Uh, this type of asset purchasing program by the Fed can also go a long way towards restoring liquidity and confidence in the markets. 
a joint effort between the CARES Act economic stimulus package and the Fed's monetary policy stimulus actions. Uh, yes, not officially, but you know, effectively. Okay. Uh, so here's your bull case nobody's really talking much about right now. Uh, so this fast, steep, and painful market sell-off that we've just experienced and you know could continue to experience for a few months uh, could be then followed by the historically unprecedented monetary and fiscal economic stimulus on both fronts. And if virus data begins to reflect a peak that we get to the other side of, you know, the, what, what I mentioned earlier, infection rates and fatalities slow as recovery rates rise. And we appear to be on a path for a real recovery in, say, late 2020 or, or, or even early 2021. Then the market reaction could be favorable and powerful. Okay. I, I mean, that's your argument why long-term investors should be, uh, as we have said before, not trying to call a bottom, but identifying long-term entry points. All good points, Tom. Um, any parting words as we finish up now? Uh, yes. Uh, this economic stimulus package is extremely important and what we need right now. But bear in mind, for a real economic and market recovery, we will need to see an identifiable and positive turn in the virus data. And there are some early signs we could be on a path toward this turn uh, based on potentially peaking infection rates in the next few weeks. Uh, and as we've said before, the best stat to watch, in our opinion, continues to be the percentage of recoveries to total cases reported. Okay. Um, uh, and until the worst of this virus data is behind us and life begins to move closer to the pre-COVID-19 world we once knew – Think of the economic stimulus package as a bridge to that point in time. Okay. Uh, and once a recovery appears in place, think of this economic stimulus and the monetary stimulus put in place by the Fed as potential tailwinds once that recovery begins to occur. Okay. Uh, also, uh, $2 trillion is a lot of money to put into an economic stimulus package, uh, but it may not be enough. Uh, look for uh, an additional follow-on stimulus package in the second half of the year. Okay. Uh, and remember that the stock market and the bond credit markets are the great discounters of future events, and they are likely to react favorably once it appears a recovery is in place, even if that recovery is a ways out. Okay. Uh, therefore, it is better uh, to be identifying long-term entry points Rather than trying to call a market bottom, we've said that uh, a lot uh, already, but it it bears repeating. Okay, thank you, Tom. Um, a lot's been happening these past couple a couple of weeks, and we appreciate talking with you about it. Uh, thank you, Patrick, and uh, we'll look forward to future discussions. Assets under management as of March twenty fourth, two thousand twenty. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. 
Investments in global international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Alternative investment strategies may include long, short, and market-neutral strategies. Bear market strategies, tactical strategies such as debt and or equity, foreign currency trading strategies, global real estate securities, commodities, and other non-traditional investments. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Transamerica Asset Management, TAM, is the asset management business unit of Transamerica. TAM consists of Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 251035.